Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. All right, so y'all ready for this? Let's kick off the service. Ready? One, two, three. Fantastic. Ready? No, it's just so good. Jesus, this is for you. Ready? One, two, three. Elevate! Jesus! Elevate! Jesus! All right, all together. This is for you, Jesus. One, two, three. Elevate! Jesus! He is so worthy of our praise. May we elevate him outside of these four walls. May we elevate him with the words that we speak, with the actions that we take, with the things we put on social media, with the way that we respond to frustrating situations. May we elevate Jesus day in and day out. But I'm not going to be here for very long. I'm going to pass this mic to someone that you know very well. And she's exceptional. She is not only one of the amazing e-group leaders here. Who has has Jamie Dishman as an e-group leader? Yeah. Exactly. She's also one of the coordinators who puts on weekend events over and over and over again so that you guys have an opportunity to go and hang out with your e-group leaders and build community and worship Jesus outside of Elevate. She has a real heart. She's one of the people that, one of the few people that I know that any, any task you point her to, it just gets done. It's just like, that's it. It's just, would you mind if it's already finished? You know, that's, that's Jamie Dishman. But she also has a heart after the Lord that's precious and beautiful. She understands and, and teaches scripture in a way that's fresh and exciting and even a little bit of funny. So I can't wait to turn the mic over to Miss Jamie Dishman. Bring her up here. <laughs> Hello, Elevate. Um, Last time I spoke, I had gum in my mouth and I had to stick it on the thing. So I spit my gum out before this time. You're welcome. Um, that, That is spiritual growth right there. So I'm super excited to be here tonight. We are... Um, doing e-groups tonight, and so we're going to finish this at about 8 o'clock, so it's 25 minutes to tell you everything I know about one of the women in the Bible who I've learned to love. Um, and so, um, well, let's just pray. I know we already prayed, but let's do it again. God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that the word that you reveal to us, God, as you reveal more and more of who you are through your word, and as we study history and the characters in these stories who are so real, that you would become more real to us as we study them. Your character and your nature would always be revealed. God, thank you for tonight, and thank you for these next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, I have a question for you. Um, why? I, I thought about this earlier today. I just thought, why are we studying women of the Bible? Anybody? No, y'all are quiet tonight. Y'all are not quiet out there. Y'all are just quiet in here. Like, think about, think it through. Why like, is, is Pastor Dom into equal rights for men and women? Probably, but that's probably not why. We're, like, really? Really? Have, have you thought that through? We're doing a series on women, so we should be like, well, all the boys can leave, right? Just joking. Don't go play basketball again. Because um, here's the thing. Women are constantly, and I know, if you're a boy in here, you're like, oh, she's about to give some woman speech, and I have to listen. So listen anyway. Um, so here's the thing about women in the Bible, is that they're majestically woven into multiple stories of the Bible over and over and over again. And so as a woman, and you read in the Bible, you notice them. 
you say, hey, God just wrote in another woman into his story. And here's the really cool thing about that, and here's why we're studying. Even if you're a boy, here's the reason why you need to listen hard these next few weeks as we study um, different women in the Bible through this series, is that women during that time, during all the Bible, while all the Bible was written historically, were considered worthless. There was no one more worthless than a woman in all those societies. There's different different time periods, different societies. But generally speaking, every single society, every single time, women were the most worthless of the bunch. And here's like, so like in Genesis, God creates Adam, and then he says, man, it's not good that you're alone. And so he creates Eve, a perfect helpmate, and Adam's so excited. And there's this beautiful union between man and woman where she completes who, he, who God has created him to be in this, in this picture of, of God. And um, by Genesis chapter 19, so just 19 chapters later, we have this little story where some angels visit Lot. Have you heard of Lot in the Bible? He was Abraham's um, nephew, right? And so um, these two angels visit Lot while he's, lived, while he's in Sodom. And um, at night, the, the men of Sodom come knocking at Lot's door saying, hey, we know you have visitors and we want them. And, and so Lot is scared out of his mind. And Lot's just like, um, 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 no, you can't have them. And so Lot, being the amazing man that he is, says, look, I have two daughters. I'm going to throw them out to you and you could do whatever you want with them. And he says, and that's fine. Already, just 19 chapters into the Bible, we have a society who's very willing to just throw away women and say, they're worthless anyway. They're just, they're just girls. Because, you see, girls, and Lot was willing to give his own daughters away and say, you can have your way with them, and you take that where you want to go. It was a mob of men. It doesn't take much imagination to know what a mob of men who are crazy would want to do with two daughters. And Lot says, it's fine, you could have them. And 19 chapters into God's story, we're already seeing women as being portrayed as women, as, as God's creation that is the most worthless. It's fine. So why are women so worthless? Have you ever thought about that? Like, you know, it doesn't matter what you're studying. Maybe it's in history class, maybe it's in the Bible, and there's this constant, women are worthless, women are worthless, women are worthless thought that goes on throughout, throughout all of history. Um, why are women so worthless? Really? Anybody? Y'all aren't talking, but I'll just, I'll just keep asking questions. Why? Anybody? Okay, good, good answer. Good, good. Um, so here, here's the thing. Because number one, they're weaker physically, right? God created women with a weaker physical body. So the truth is that if we're planting crops, and me and my husband go out to plant, well... Okay, in my family, I do grow the most vegetables, but let's just pretend like I don't for just a minute um, <laughs> because I plant really good crops like tomatoes and cucumbers and bell peppers. And, um, but if we had to plant 55 rows of crops, hard manual labor, day in and day out, guess who would probably fall out before my husband would? Me because I'm weaker physically. You know, there's just things sometimes where I'm like, I cannot move this couch, this table. And so my husband, or now that my boys are older, I say, Hey, I need y'all to move this. I work at a workplace where we move heavy things all the time. And sometimes I can lift a box of tile. And sometimes I go to lift a box of tile and I can't even budget. I'm like, man, I thought I was just going to like pick that up and move it. And I can't because I'm weaker physically. Um, 
And so women weren't worth that much because they couldn't do what a man could do. From the, be- from the beginning of time, I, no woman could do what a man could do. Um, number two, women weren't warriors. And in this society, you needed warriors to survive. And women weren't warriors. They, they were at home. They weren't protecting anybody. They weren't fighting anyone. And if you went to war, you didn't put women on the front line because they were weaker physically. Um, typically, they weren't even contributing financially. And so this is why society over and over again just said, hey, you're worthless. Like, like, that's why Lot was willing to throw out his own two daughters to a mob of angry men because they were worthless to him. Because guess what? A son carried your name. A son could help you, um, you know, if you're, you're, if you're bringing in things and doing different things, the son would have had the power to help you. But daughters, what are they going to do for you? Women? They're not just not worth that much. And all of a sudden, um, we see God start weaving women throughout Scripture. Not because God's like, oh, let me throw a woman in to save the day. That's not the point. Because God says, the things that the world looks at as worthless, I'm always going to redeem. I'm always going to say, no, you're, you're worth something to me. That the character of God says, I'm going to weave women throughout almost every story in the Bible because they're so worthy of being brought into the kingdom. They're so worthy of of speaking my name out to those who are listening. They're so worthy. And so the good news for Lot, the guy who was going to throw his two daughters out, is that he has a son. Yay for Lot. You know, we already don't like Lot. Like, I just, I can't even picture, I have two two daughters. They're, yeah, aw, they're sweet sometimes. And so... But if my husband would offer to throw them out to a mob of angry men, I can't even imagine that. I can't even. I can't even. Um, you know, so anyway, the good news for Lot is this. He has a son. So I, we have a little history right here. And I know right now you're like, I thought you were teaching on Ruth and you haven't even talked about her. But hold on yet. Hold on because we're getting to her. So Abram, Abraham, he has a brother whose name is I don't know how to say that. Haran, Haran. You could say it however you want. Whose son is Lot. Whose son is. So Lot has a son. And so Lot names his son Moab. Okay? So you get in this picture, Lot's family. Lot gets cast out of Sodom. and like He gets saved from Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a long story. Um, and then Lot has a son. So what's Lot's son's name? You should know this answer and talk back. Moab. Great. So, free Starbucks to anybody who can tell me who the Moabites are, who's under the age of 18 in the room. Who are the Moabites? Oh, good, Elijah. Good, good. You get some free Starbucks. Just joking. A little more than that. And more, you should, well, one thing, the Moabites are descendants. Jerks. That's a better answer. Hey, they're, not a, they're not the tribe of Israel, although like they're kind of Hebrew. Gavin, who are the Moabites? If you know this, I'll buy you two Starbucks. Yeah, they're descendants of Moab. Good, good, good. Okay, nobody gets Starbucks. All right. So, but you should know who the Moabites are. And so we're going to do a little bit of this where, so the Moabites, here's who they are in a nutshell. This is what you need to know and what you need to have in your head for tonight to make any kind of sense to you. So this is serious, so listen. The Moabites were always, 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 over and over again in the Bible, leading the Israelites straight into sin. 
So whenever Israel, Israel comes and moves in and there's Moabites nearby, guess what happens to Israel? They turn away from God. And so Israel goes back to God, and guess what? They get involved with who again? I gave you the answer. The Moabites. And so they get involved with the Moabites again, and guess what Israel goes back right back into? And so when you see the word Moabites now in the Old Testament, they're not just another ite. There's like the Hittites and the, all these other ones. Um, but they're basically, you need to know this, that it's closely linked with Israel's fall to sin. Every single time Moabites are mentioned. And that's Lot's son. Lot, because remember what Sodom and Gomorrah was? Anybody, you should know this one. They got destroyed by fire. They were bad, wicked, evil. So God destroyed them. And Lot was living with them. And then Lot has a son named Moab. So whose ways do you think Moab picked up? Lot's ways, who was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. All right, girls on the front row, I love y'all so much, but I need the giggle and whisper and to just, you know, chill out a little bit. I love y'all. All right. And here's the thing. Let's read in Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 3. It says this. Now Israel remained... Wait, I can't see that far. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> I was like, man, I don't have my glasses. Um, so it says, now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. And then verse 3 says, So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. So you see this one little glimpse in Numbers chapter 25, where Israel unites with who? The Moabites. And the anger of the Lord, in verse 3, that's the important part of that verse. It says God's anger was kindled because they worshiped their God and they did all the bad things their people were doing. Okay? And so what you need to know is that by the end of this little section of Scripture, which if you want to go read Numbers 25, it's pretty interesting. Um, In verse 9, because they joined with the Moabites, God's anger burned against Israel. And it says there was a plague and it killed 24,000. Israelites, God sent a plague because he said, I hate you being linked with the Moabites so much that anyone who went that way, you're getting destroyed. That's how serious God hated Israel's linking with this people who led them into sin. And so there, and so in this story in Numbers chapter 25, um, it's just a really interesting story of a man who takes out his wrath against a couple um, who were doing things that the Moabites do. And I'll just let you just go read Numbers chapter 25, 1 through 9. It's, you know, it's kind of like last week where people get stabbed and stuff. Um, and so <laughs> here's the thing is that God hated it more than he hated anything else. And so 24,000 people died that day, um, or not that day, but from the plague. Um, Later in the Bible, it talks about the Moabites. Those are some of the women that King Solomon took into his kingdom, and it said that's what caused King Solomon to start worshiping other gods. And um, the Moabites, they practiced child sacrifice. So, you know, we, we get it from Lot. He was willing to throw his daughters out to death and say, it's okay, have your way with them. They, so they continued that practice. The Moabites continually did child sacrifices. Um, and in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, the Lord forbid them from assembling with the Lord's people. It says, no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. That's a long time. I don't know how long that is, but it's like a lot. So what you need to know, and here's where we're at with 13 minutes left. Great. Now I haven't even talked about Ruth. 
here's the thing. You need to know this. So historically, Israel's married men and unmarried men, they liked Moabite women. Okay? So here's the thing. Let's pretend like Mr. Billy was here with me tonight, and I was an Israelite woman. Okay? And he's my husband. So Mr. Billy's my husband, if you don't know him. He watches our other, like, four kids. I don't don't even know how many kids we have right now. A lot. (laughs) Six total. I don't know how many are here, how many are with him. I just hope we have them all. But if Mr. Billy was here tonight with me, and we were living in that day and age, and a Moabite woman walked in the room, (laughs) you'd just see my claws come out. Like, get away from a man. Because every single time a Moabite woman was around, guess what an Israelite married or unmarried man really liked? The Moabite woman. I mean, like, look up the meaning of harlotry. This is the kind of women that Moabite women were. So then, we're going to read about Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So with all this in your head now about the Moabites, let's talk about this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Ding, ding, ding. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there for about ten years. But both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So we see this story of Israelites who they, they're experiencing a famine, and so they don't trust God, obviously. You could probably just say, yeah, they, they're not trusting God to provide. They say, well, I'm going to go to the land of Moab, where the Moabites live. So guess who their two sons marry to what kind of women? Moabite women, because Israel men, Israel's men like what kind of women? Moabite women, it's just what they like. So, here's where we are at. So, there's a story of Naomi. She has a husband and he dies. She has two sons. They die too. So, so far in five verses, three people have died. And Naomi is left with two daughters-in-laws. And here's the thing, both of them are Moabite women. So, do you think she can just take these two women back to her people? Where she's come from? No. Okay, so let's read in Ruth, and so a whole bunch of things happen, and basically Naomi says this, Ruth, Orpah, which I really think Oprah's mom meant to call her Orpah and misspelled it, because I I really do. Every time I think about Oprah, I think, I think your mom meant to call you Orpah, but she misspelled it and didn't read the Bible right, and maybe that's just like, I don't know, but if I ever meet Oprah, I will ask her. And so Naomi has two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, and so Orpah, Orpah and Ruth, Orpah's like, hey, Naomi, I'm so sorry. You lost your husband. I lost mine. I'm out. Peace out. I'm going back to my people with Moab. Okay? I'm going back with my Moabite people. And and Naomi says, blessings on you. Go do that. And she even says, take your gods with you in this story. Like, like just full on, like, just take your gods with you, sweetie. Like, pack them up in the bags, you know? And so, so Orpah leaves. But here's the thing. The other Moabite woman named Ruth says this. To Naomi. And Naomi's all like bitter. She's mad. She says, God took my husband. God took my sons. God caused the famine. God's hand was so against me. And um, 
Here's what Ruth says. Ruth says this to her mother-in-law. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God is going to be my God. Where you die, I will die. And then I will, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts me from you. And like the most beautiful speech in all of history, and Naomi, full of bitterness, says nothing. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Well, that's sweet. So here's where we're at. This Moabite woman who knows how Israel's hatred burns toward the Moabites. Because here's the thing. If you're an Israelite doing what Israelites are supposed to do, which is following God, reading the Torah, doing those kinds of things, guess what? You don't like Moabite women. And when Ruth goes back to this country, she's not going to make friends, guys. This is like walking into a high school full of people who hate your guts in the worst of ways. So, so you, just, you just think, okay, your mama's going to yank you out of Homer Christian, Ellender, Homer Junior High, um, Evergreen. My friend Hannah goes to Evergreen, wherever she's at, BCA, um, whatever your school is. Your mama says, you're getting yanked out, and I'm going to send you to this people. Imagine a high school that hates you day in, day out. They hate you. This is what Ruth is walking into. This is what she says yes to. Ruth says, I'm going to go wherever you go. Your people are going to be my people. And she knew what was coming. She knew that women were about to hate her, make fun of her, leave her out of their friend circles. And she's not even going to be on the group text, heaven forbid. (laughs) Because they hate her. And she says, it's okay. And ultimately, in the center of that, in that, in that piece of literature that, that Ruth, um, not literature, in that piece that Ruth says, she says, your God, it's my God. And then she says, in all caps, remember last week, Dominic said, when it's in all caps, it's God, the I am that I am, Yahweh, God. She says, the Lord forbid, if anything but death, separate us. And Ruth says, your God is my God. She's not toting around a little bag of gods anymore. She says, this great I am that I am, Naomi, I want him to be my God. That's what I want. I've seen just enough in your lives that I want what you have. I want your God because my gods aren't working. And in the first point um, in Ruth chapter one, um, number one, is that Ruth gave her go to God. She pledges her allegiance to Naomi, but ultimately it's to God. She says, God, I'm going to go. God, I'm going to go into the scariest place that I've ever been. And I'm going with you. God, I want you to wherever you're going to be. And there's this moment in our lives where sometimes you have to get every reason in the world not to go somewhere, not to do something. But you've got to give your go to God so that he can get all the glory. And that's what Ruth does. And that's why we're calling her a girl who has her big girl pants on. Because she says, God, I'm going to go. And I might not ever have another friend again. Because even Naomi really wasn't talking to her at that point. But God, would I want you so much that I'm willing to go. God, the character I've seen of you makes me want more and more. And I can't even have enough. She gives her go to God. And so tonight, one of the questions in your e-group time is, have you given your go to God? There's scary things that God's calling you to do. For some of you, it's walking outside of your friend circle. For some of you, it's just walking into your neighborhood. For some of you, it's telling a relative about Jesus. Have you given your go and said, God, everybody else 
seems to be taking this path, but you've called me to take this one. And if you're there, then that's enough for me. Because that was enough for Ruth. The fact that God would be where she was going made it more than enough. And that the Moabite woman, Ruth, was no longer afraid. Number two, Ruth follows the commands along the way. So long and short, they return to Israel. It's just like we picture. They're impoverished. They're poor. They're starving. They try to go find food, and they don't have any food. They don't have a husband, remember? They don't have a provider. They don't have anyone supplying anything for them. Um, And here's the thing. They go. um, If we could pull up Ruth chapter 2, verse 8. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I might have to read it if y'all don't have it. So they go, and... um, but that's not what the verse says. That was what I wrote. <laughs> but y'all thought what I wrote was the Bible? <laughs> that's, that's scary, kind of. Okay, so here's the thing. In the, in the book of Ruth, so they're going, and it's just like they pictured. They're starving. Naomi's mad, and they go do what's called gleaning on the, um, on the sides of the fields. They do something um, called gleaning where they're picking up just the extras. Oh, look, here it is. Um, and, and so Ruth happens to be in this field of a man named Boaz. And so Boaz gives her these directions and he says, um, in Ruth chapter two, verse eight, he says, Boaz tells Ruth, she's trying to pick up the extras, the scraps. Now, listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. And then I want to read the next verse too. Um, and he says, in verse 9, he says this, Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. He gives this command, Boaz does, and the long and short of Boaz is that you need to know that he's the image of God in the book of Ruth. He says, in verse 9, Go, keep your eyes on the field that they are reaping. He says, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels. See, because when you're a Moabite woman, all the men working in the fields think they could just have their way with you because you're a Moabite woman. So, like, what could they do to you that hasn't been done before, right? That's scary when you're a girl working in a field trying to provide for you and your mother-in-law. And Boaz says this, but he says, but listen, you need to keep your line of sight on the field that I've told you to be in. Keep your focus. Our line of sight matters. God longs to redeem, but our eyes must be fixed on what is his. We must be in the place where he is moving. You've got to be where God is moving. Some of you are longing for a move of God. We listen to a song in our car on the way coming here called, uh, We Need a Move, which we do need a move. But my favorite line of the song says, This is a move. God is moving. And if we keep our eyes, if we just let our eyes wander to the left or to the right, sometimes we think, God, are you moving? Yes, he is. The Bible is clear that he is always at work. Jesus said it very clearly in John chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. And so, and then he also says, very truly, I tell you in verse 19, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does for the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes. And he will show him even greater works 
than these so that you're all going to be amazed. So our answer to is God moving? Yes. But your eyes have got to be fixed on the field where he's moving. Like Boaz said, keep your eyes on that field, Ruth. Don't look to the left because there's scary men in the field to the left of you and there's scary men to the right. Keep close to my women because I'm going to keep you safe. And God says, when you're in the field where I'm at work, no matter all the scary things that are going on around you, I'm about to keep you safe. There's nothing you've got to fear because I'm here. And when the field is the Lord's, you're at the right place where you need to be. And so that's another question for you tonight in your e-group times. And I want tonight's e-group times, just if we could, to be a little more serious sometimes than we are. I love laughing. I love having fun. But where, what is God saying? He has a harvest for you. There's a field for you. If God loved a Moabite woman enough, and we're in point three going to learn she's redeemed and restored and grafted into God's lineage, don't you think he loves you that much? Don't you think he has a field prepared for you, ripe for the harvest? And he says, you stick in my field. You fix your eyes. Fix your eyes on what is mine. And see, God has people in your high school that he wants to be saved. And you're, sometimes we're so busy looking to the left or to the right that we think, oh, I don't know. What, God, what do you want me to do with my life? He doesn't care if you're a nurse or a doctor or a teacher, really. He says, I want you bringing people to heaven. That's the goal. You see, because sometimes we make the wrong career choice. I don't even use my degree. But it doesn't mean I can't be used by God. So you go to college and pick your best career and your best shot in the dark at what you think might be what you do in the future because it probably won't. But along the way, you said, God, I want to be right where you are. I want to be right where you're moving. And if there's people in my presence who don't know you, point them out to me because there are people whose hearts God is moving in. And when you fix your eyes, you'll start to see them. You're going to see the person at your school who's hurt and broken that God longs to restore. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because you see, we don't have like a real field like Boaz and Ruth's field, but we do have Jesus and our eyes are fixed on him. And so point three is this, um, that God's redemption changes our story and it changes the stories of those around us. Because, um, I do need to kind of fill you in. So basically, the story is too short to tell all in one night. And the truth is that I looked in my, um, I have a, bi- a Bible that was mine from like the time I was 12, year old, 12 years old to about 20. And so I looked in my Bible from my, that age Bible thinking, I'm going to look and see what I wrote in the margins about Ruth. And I didn't write anything because I don't think I liked her until a few years ago because I thought she was boring. Um, <laughs> but here, she's now one of my favorites. And here's why. Um, Because her story didn't just change her life. And I need you to listen carefully because sometimes I think we miss that. Like we're like, God, I need you to change me, change my life. Her story changed the lives of those around her. And let's read. There's this really boring part at the beginning of Matthew that if we're honest, we've all skipped over a time or two or ten. And it lists the lineage of Jesus and it says this, and Salmon, or Salmon, I don't know, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. And then in verse 6, I didn't include it, but it goes on to say, and Jesse, the father of King David, and then it keeps listing. And guess whose name is mentioned in the lineage of Jesus Christ? Ruth. 
And guess who else's name is mentioned right there? That little lady named Rahab, Boaz's mama. She was a prostitute. And one of the last people that should be included in this kingdom lineage. But Jesus is constant. God is constantly grafting in those who the world thinks are worthless. Rahab, the prostitute, you're in. Ruth, the Moabite woman, you're in. God's heart and his character says you're in. You don't have to look like the rest of them. You don't have to act like the rest of them. You just need to follow Jesus to whatever he's asking you to do. Our family looks different because we do things that God has called us to do that doesn't always blend in with what everybody else is doing. And your life should look different when you're following Jesus. You know, and I just think Ruth was known at the beginning of the story as a Moabitess woman. And by the end, she's Boaz's wife. He redeems her. He's called her kinsman redeemer in this picture of who God is. And the cool thing is at the beginning, she's Ruth the Moabitess. But by Matthew chapter 1, she's Ruth, the great-grandmother of King David, whose lineage gives us way to Jesus Christ. And that's who Ruth gets to end her story as. That's where her story ends. We don't know anything else other than that she's into the lineage. She's in the lineage of Jesus. And here's the other thing. So there's Naomi. Naomi was Ruth's mother-in-law. And I didn't hit on all these things that Naomi said throughout the story. But man, Naomi was mad at God. She was mad at Yahweh. She was like, the Lord caused the famine. The Lord took my husband. She, she even said, call me bitter. She said, call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because I, I am bitter. I'm mad. She was mad at God. So, so mad. And at the end of Naomi's story, and, and Naomi's heart wasn't toward change. It wasn't saying, oh God, take me where you want me to go. We don't ever see Naomi saying, God, I want what you want. We just see Naomi saying, well, my husband and my son dies. I'm going to go back to Israel. But at the end of her story, it says this about Naomi, that all the people um, were at the gate and the elders, and they blessed Naomi. They said, this is what the women, these Israelite women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life. And this is when Ruth had her baby boy. So Ruth is holding her baby boy. Who's going to be the grandson, the granddaddy of David. I might have that wrong, but something of David. And um, this is what they say to Naomi about this boy. This boy shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap. And it says she became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of of David. And see, the end of Naomi's story is different because of Ruth. And in the Bible, there's this idea that we take people along the journey toward Christ with us. It, 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 you can't force salvation on people, but you can point them closer to Jesus. You can. Your life should be pulling people along with you, whether they want to come or not sometimes. Naomi said, Ruth, just go back. Go back to your gods. And Ruth's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to go with you. Where you go, I want to go. Your God is my God. And because of Ruth's persistence toward God, Naomi's story is written differently. 
she gets to be grafted into the lineage of Jesus too. She gets to be there to say, this son, this son, Obed, he's about to be the father of Jesse, the father of King David. And y'all, like, we skip past the genealogies in the Bible, but if your name was in it, you wouldn't. You'd be reading it to everybody you knew. Because that means you were, you're cool. And Naomi gets a joyful ending. And so who is God calling you to bring alongside of you? You know, for, I'm a mom, so for me, that's my kids. Like, come on, come on. We're following Jesus, because right now you're not 18 yet, so you don't get to choose. For some of you, that's friends. When I was in high school, I drug my friends, literally, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for not so good reasons, to our youth group. You know, like, I'm like, no, you're going to come with me. It's a Saturday night, and we're going to youth group. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, we are. You're at my house. Come on, let's go. And so your story should drag people alongside with you who, who are, whose hearts are bitter like Naomi's. Because the end of redemption says this, that God restores and redeems. And that's his character, and that's who he is. And like in the New Testament, it says it um, like this. I snapped a screenshot during worship because I didn't want to get it wrong. Um, it's the coolest verse in all the Bible. It says, then behold, in Matthew 25, it says, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn. It's talking about when Jesus dies. Okay, the earthquake, the rocks were split, graves were opened. I'm not impressed yet. But then it says this, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. See, Jesus' resurrection and restoration to life was so powerful that it brought others with him. And that's the picture there. All these dead saints start walking around Jerusalem again. That's weird. Yeah. And so maybe there's dead saints in your life. Maybe there's a Naomi in your life. Maybe it's somebody who's so bitter at God, at the church, at other people. And you, gosh, they're, they're a drag to be around. And God says, yeah, but I put you in your life. Drag them along with you. Be their Ruth. Be the person who says, I'm going to go wherever you go. I'm not stopping serving God. I want your God to be my God. And so we're going to end tonight and spend about 20 minutes in e-group time. Um, There's some questions that your e-group leaders have that I want you to think. When you think of Ruth in the Bible, she wasn't anybody special. She was a Moabitess. Big whoop. She shouldn't have been written in. She shouldn't have been redeemed. Deuteronomy said she couldn't, and then God says, well, whatever. I'm about to write her in my my lineage for Jesus Christ because his heart always longs to redeem the most broken, the most worthless, and those who have the least hope. That's who your God is. And so who are you going to bring along with you in your redemption story? Who are you going to bring? You've got to bring someone to get to heaven and have people say, thanks. You didn't even know it, but your life led me to Jesus. There is no greater joy that you'll ever, ever have, and that's what we're living for. I'm living to see Jesus, and I'm living to see the people I love with me in heaven, like Ruth brought along Naomi. God, we love you. God, I don't always claim to understand the things in life that feel hard or difficult. God, I don't know... Like, like Naomi didn't know. Why did her husband and two sons die? That, that's not fair. God, but I do know this. That you restore and you redeem. You always have and you always will. And we look back on these stories so that we can fix our eyes forward on Jesus. 
so that they become more than stories to us, that they become real because they were real people. God, I pray for every person in here tonight that their heart will be one like Ruth, who says, God, hear my God. Now let's go and bring some people along with us and we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and who is the perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.